that was an awesome video. Thanks for putting that together. If you were part of um, helping out in one way or another during Vacation Bible School, can you just please stand up really quickly so that we could recognize you and appreciate you and say thanks so much for all that you did. Awesome. Hey, God is up to something, isn't he? And it's exciting to see. It's a blessing to see um, just all the life, all the energy, the excitement, um, the ways in which God is moving and transforming us and our community through him. And so we're thankful. And it's an honor and a blessing to be part of that movement, um, especially during the times that we're in right now. Um, my name is Pastor Koba, by the way. If there's anybody who's here, and maybe it's your first or second or third time here to Mission Ebenezer Family Church, um, and it's a privilege to have you with us and wonderful to be together for those joining us online. Thanks for being with us as well. I know that my uh, my my wife's grandmother out in Barstow, uh, she attends her church there in Barstow, but also tunes in to Mission Ebenezer Family Church. So, uh, Nana, if you're watching, it's always good to have you with us uh, online as well. And uh, it's just a blessing given all that... Uh, uh, the technology and ways in which we can stay connected to so many others. We even have folks who have been part of this uh, church family, but they've moved to other places in the country, maybe to Las Vegas area or Texas area, whatever it may be. And I know they enjoy tuning in to be part of the fellowship. Uh, like we always say, we are not a perfect church, but this is a blessed church, uh, a blessed people. And you could just see when I look at those videos, the highlights of the baptisms from last week and vacation Bible school, what it reminds me of, and just watching our fellowship on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights is that uh, God is establishing a beautiful family. Um, and, and that's powerful. Um, the, there, there's power in uh, knowing that you belong. There's power in knowing that uh, you are loved. There's power in knowing that there's fellowship, right, um, and community. And there's something beautiful about that, right? Um, I know sometimes from a pastoral standpoint, we tend to think of development and growth and faith formation as those very specific moments where we are learning God's truth through scripture or we're in a time of worship and something stirring up in our heart. And like Pastor Josh mentioned earlier, it stirs us into tears. Uh, and we tend to think of those as moments where God is doing something in us, where we're being formed. Um, but I, I tend to see God at work in all kinds of ways. I see God at work during tug of war with super soakers out there because laughter is medicine for the soul. And when you think of all that all of us are carrying, not, there's not one person in here who's not dealing with something. And some of us are dealing with a lot right now. And some people know about that and other people might not know what you're going through. And so when there can be moments for laughter, God is up to something. Um, when there's moments of a handshake or a big hug, right, and checking in, uh, God is doing something powerful. So community, unity, fellowship are just as significant as diving into scripture and prayer and, and seeing that God is transforming us and creating us to be whole and healthy. How many of us know that when we are whole and healthy persons, right, we are, we are open to allowing God to do a deep work in us that is uh, completely holistic and touches every area of our life? Right, I tend to think of, you know, I, I, uh, I like to go down this rabbit trail um, to think of the ways in which all of our ourselves are tied together. But like, you know, hey, if you didn't get a good night of sleep, right, 
A, you're not going to be able to pay attention very well. If you can't pay attention very well, you're probably not going to take in very much. If you don't take in very much, you're probably not going to retain very much. And if you don't retain very much, you're probably not going to learn very much. And if you don't learn very much, you're probably not going to be able to apply very much. Does that make sense? And so all that to say, even something as simple as sleep or whatever it may be, God has created us as individuals where we are not able to be compartmentalized. Who we are at work, who we are at home, who we are at church, what our physical bodies are like and what our spiritual bodies are like. All of that is connected in this unique and beautiful way. And so when we have a body of Christ where we are able to come and and find safety, find refuge, find healing in whatever way that is, uh, God is up to something. Right? And those are the building blocks for being able to continue to pursue being who God has called us to be. Uh, amen? Um, so today I want to talk about, uh, last week we had a powerful message. Uh, we were talking about when you get to that Red Sea and the Egyptian armies are behind you and your past life is behind you and slavery is behind you and all of a sudden there's a big body of water in front of you and you don't have any boats or sea dews or jet skis or kayaks or paddle boards or anything to help you get across that Red Sea. How do we respond? I mean, Pastor Josh gave us a, a powerful message about recognizing don't go back, Right? Just because it doesn't look good out in front, trust that God has got a plan. And God did have a plan in the story of the Israelites, and he parted that Red Sea. When it looked like there was no way out, God made a way, right? And how many of us can say God has made a way for us, right? God has made a way for us. And so, that you know, today I want to continue in that theme and talk about faith over fear. Can everybody say faith over fear? This is so important today. Um, in 2022, in July especially, because I think of this moment in time where we are in Los Angeles, United States of America, in the world, where there are so many different reasons to panic. Um, If you watch the news, then you'll know that there are international wars going on, global pandemic that still hasn't gone away and it's threatening to come back and all these different things. We're in in the middle of uh, inflation and the possibility of a recession. Employment is for some people really good or really bad. Um, There are so many different things that we're facing. There's wildfires that are popping up. And and so there's so many, so many things that are either right next to us or far away that can cause us to panic, cause us to fear, cause us to worry, cause us to uh, lose sight of what God might be wanting to do or teach us or show us or build in us because we get so distracted by all of the hardship and challenges around us. Um, It's so interesting to think of the way panic impacts us, right? It impacts us physically where people can experience anxiety or or worry or whatever that may look like. It it impacts us in so many different ways if we allow it to. But we are called people of faith. We are called those who place their trust in God. The literal definition of faith uh, means to trust in right? To trust in. And Wednesday night at Bible study, we talked a little bit about the relationship between faith and doubt and how it really is important to have doubt in order to arrive at faith because faith is trusting even when you don't have all the answers. If you've got all the answers, then it's not called faith. It's called fact. But faith is in spite of not having all the answers, I put my trust in Jesus, right? Even though I can't see the way out, I know that God's got a way out for me. Even though I can't see a way through, I know that God's got a way through for me. Even though I don't know how it's going to work out, I believe and trust that my God is good, so he's going to work it out. 
right? I was thinking of that one song that says we're going to work it out, but really is he's going to work it out. And that's the way that we are built. That's the way that we train ourselves. I love uh, watching movies. I wasn't in the military, um, but I love watching movies of people that are at high levels of military training or preparing for uh, a space, uh, uh, you know, expedition. Because in those types of settings, what they do is they train themselves to the point where they they don't think that they could keep going forward. They, tra- they, te- they, they, they stretch their body and their limits to the, to, to the far extremes, whether it be their ability to breathe or whether it be how tired they are. And they do that on purpose because it's in that moment that oftentimes we have to make critical decisions. And some of us, right, have two different ways of operating. When things are going well, we have a certain way of operating. You're cool, calm, and collected. You got a smile on your face. You're hopeful. You could see how things are going to pan out. You, everything is good. And then, and then all of a sudden, there's another way that we operate when things aren't going so well. I start running around, right? Start saying things, start thinking things, start believing things, start doing things that are not consistent with your character because all of a sudden, Something has happened that has challenged your, what, you know, some might call homeostasis, that place where you feel most comfortable. And now all of a sudden there's two different ways of operating. There's my cool, calm and collected self. And there's my panicked self. And what I love about the stories of scripture is whether we're talking about Genesis or Exodus or all the way through, is there are all these reminders uh, of these situations where people of faith came up against a challenger situation that looked way too big for them to handle. And then God, who is bigger than that challenge, shows up and reminds them that they don't have to worry about it because God has a history of doing the impossible. God has a history of meeting people at the point where they can no longer do it themselves just to prove to them that we shouldn't rely on ourselves but can place our faith in a God who is good, who is able, and who has done miracles before. And if he's done those miracles before, he could do those miracles again. So the scriptures are really reminders, and in many ways, they should be educators for us to be reminded that when we face a situation that looks like a Red Sea, we don't need to panic because God has gotten his people out of Red Sea moments before. When we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, we look to scripture because we're reminded that God has calmed the storm before. When we have sickness, we look to scripture because we see that God has healed the sick before. And so whether it be scriptures or our own personal experience, we can combine the two to be reminded that the next time, somebody say next time. Because how many of us know that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we're going to face that next big challenge. And that's, the, that's why I love the way that we uh, uh, help to prepare the body of Christ here at Mission Ebenezer. We are not the kind of church that's going to stand up here and tell you, you're never going to face a challenge ever again. Oh man, you got a halo of protection around you. And now that you're a Christian and believing you got baptized in Cabrillo Beach, if you can make it through that kelp, you can make it through anything, right? Like we're not the kind of uh, uh, church that's going to say from now on, uh, here to forth, don't worry about it because everything's going to be perfect in your life now that you put your faith in Jesus. No, in fact, what we might say is things might get a little harder before they get better. And you're probably around the corner from another challenge. Some of you are like, don't speak that over my life, Pastor Koba. And I'm like, I'm not speaking anything over your life. I'm just trying to keep it real. If you thought last year was hard, next year's going to bring some things that are tough too. 
And so some, some folks aren't going to be ready for that, and their faith is going to be challenged, and some may even walk away from their faith because they had a different expectation. And their expectation was that everything was going to be fine, that it couldn't get much worse than this. Don't ever say that, <laughs> right? Don't ever say, it. well, it can't get much worse than this because guess what? It can always get worse. But as people of God, he has wired us with faith on the inside, right? We, he, God has wired us with faith on the inside so that when we do face those challenges, we don't say, oh, where's God now? Where's your Jesus now? When your bank account looks the way that it does. Where's your, where's your God now? You were so excited when you were on a spiritual high and reading your word and in prayer and going to all those Bible studies and fellowships. And, and now all of a sudden you're going through a challenge in your family. I, I thought Jesus was on your side. And then and the critics and the naysayers will come alongside and start uh, questioning your faith. And it's, and it's up to us to be able to say, you know what? I was expecting this moment to happen. And because of that, I was preparing for this moment to happen. And because of that, even in the face of this challenge, this doesn't mean that my God's not there or that he's not able. What it's demonstrating is that he's allowing me to go through another stage of my faith development. And even where I am right now, I choose to put my faith in my God. Here's Pastor Kolb up here talking about faith over fear. And a couple years ago, we moved into our new place and we were getting used to this new neighborhood and community and all this. And, you know, um, you know, we, we had had some experience before in our other neighborhood where, you know, my car was broken into and doesn't it feel lame when somebody steals your stuff? It doesn't feel right because we, we like to think how we grew up when I was a kid. We never even locked the front door because that's just the way we just had a neighborhood where it was cool. And, you know, people, if they were hungry, my friends, they're swinging by the neighborhood. They walk in, make themselves a sandwich, walk out. And that's just the way things went. No big deal. Right. Um, and but times have changed. And, you know, my car gets broken into and all of this, that and the other. And I'm missing something from my garage. And then you start getting all paranoid, like I got to get a security system, man. So you go out and get a Rottweiler. Right. Um, so I moved into my new neighborhood and I'm kind of like, ah, it looks cool. Right. Uh, here's my, one of my neighbors right here, Sam, we, we grew up here in Carson and now we're Lakewood neighbors together. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm like trying to figure out, okay, is this a safe neighborhood? It looks safe, but you know, sometimes the safe looking ones in the horror movies are the ones that you got to watch out for right? The ones that look all nice. Anyway, so, so here we are. And then all of a sudden we're, we're falling asleep. And, you know, my Kaya, he's like one year old, uh, you know, the kids are in their room. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I start hearing some banging on one of the windows, you know? And I'm like, oh man, what's going on right here? You know, it's like two o'clock in the morning, one between one and two. And, and of course, you know, uh, it wakes both me and Drea up. And then she's like, babe, babe, go check that out. What is that? And it was coming from the upstairs, you know? So downstairs, I'm like, maybe it's my dog. Maybe he's hungry. Maybe he's like, you forgot to feed me. Come on, man. Right. But it was upstairs. I'm like, my dog, he's a husky and he's a husky husky. So there's no way he's getting on the second floor. So I'm like, dang. So I started looking around to see like, I don't know who's trying to get into my house or what. So I go and I look for something to defend myself. The only thing I could find was a, a, a like an empty laundry uh, hamper. So I pick it up, right? And then, so I'm like, I'm walking toward the, the window where I hear it and it's around the corner. So I'm like, you know, you ever, guys, you ever been in that situation where you're trying to show your family you're tough, but inside you're a little afraid and you're, you're a little conflicted. So I was kind of conflicted, you know? 
So I got my, my, my laundry basket, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm inching my way toward the window, you know, looking around, right? I start like grabbing things to like throw around the corner to see if it, fl- it whatever, you know? And so I don't get any response and I still hear the, the pounding. It's like, and I'm like, what is going on? Well, first of all, if it is a burglar, they're a dumb burglar. Cause why are you going to make all that noise? Like they got to go to burglar school again. Um, but I get around to the corner and I, and I finally like kind of get my phone out so I can have my flashlight. Cause you know, all of us use our phone as our flashlight now. And I look right and I see some eyes looking right at me. So I back up like, Oh man, I don't know if they got a weapon or what, you know? And then, so like, I, I turn my phone around and like, so I could take a picture of it, you know, to see what it is. And I see the eyes again, but the eyes are glowing. And I'm like, Oh man, what is it? And my window was open with the screen because it was hot. It was like summertime. So the window was open. The screen was right there. And then they start grabbing the screen. I'm like, oh, man. So finally, I get a little closer to see what it was. It was a big old raccoon. And I'm not kidding. Reached in with his claws because they got like human hands. Pulled my screen off. Grabbed my window. Started opening my window. So I go and close my window real quick. I almost got his arm stuck in there. And I remember I was going through all kinds of scenarios in my head, right? When I was going up there, I'm like, man, somebody's trying to steal my stuff. They're trying to break in. They're going to hurt my family. And I look over and it's a, a raccoon, right? A big one, which ended up later on becoming my friend, believe it or not. That's a long story. I'm not going to get into that one. Like we're homies now, but initially we were not, um, but isn't that the way things go? Like when we're facing something in life and we feel a little bit scared, a little bit panicked, we start creating stories in our mind about what's happening. Oh, it's this, that, and the other. And if that happens and this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and then that's going to happen. And then we, and then we create all these narratives and stories and expectations about what's going on when in, in reality, we've allowed our, our fear to overcome our faith. We've allowed our panic to cause us to act and operate in a way that's inconsistent with what we are called to do as people of God. God has given us the gift of faith. Somebody say faith. Faith. And so we need to be anchored in Christ and develop good habits in faith. Um, I believe one of the most dangerous things for Christians is conditional faith, meaning we only put our trust in God when things are going well. When, when, th- when things are all right and clear, then yes, I'm going to be an excited Christian, raising my hands in worship, reading my Bible regularly, going to church as often as I can when things are going great, right? We've got a smile on our face. We can't wait to, to just uh, dive right in. But then all of a sudden something comes and happens. And then next thing you know, everything starts to change right? Oh, I don't want to go to church. They're going to start asking me where we've been. And then when they start asking me where we've been, I'm going to have to either tell them the truth or lie. But then if I'm lying in church and then never mind, I'm not going. Right, right. So, so we start, we start creating all these scenarios and, and we don't allow ourselves to develop this faith formation where we are becoming those who have a character that regardless of what we're going through, we are learning to put our faith and trust in God, especially when things get tough. Somebody say, especially, especially when things get tough. 
So what happens when we panic, when, when life hits us, when the devil hits us, when, when challenges come our way and it causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus? How many of us know that's the best thing that the enemy likes to do is cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus? And there's all kinds of ways that we could do that, right? Sin and temptation is going to cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus, right? But all kinds of other things can become distractions, busyness, becoming too busy, right? Or, or having our priorities mixed up and in the wrong order that could cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus, right? There's all kinds of things that could cause us to be distracted. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. And so it's our focus and commitment as the people of God to say, regardless of what comes my way, I will choose to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm not going to let anything distract me from the author and finisher of my faith, right? The foundation of my life, my Lord and my Savior, my Redeemer, my closest friend, the one who I want to be more like, the one who I want to be the center of my life. I am not going to allow anything to get in the way between where I am and where Jesus is. Amen? So when we panic, we become irrational. We blow things out of proportion. We try to take matters into our own hands. We become selfish and only think of our own interests because we're going through something difficult and we don't have time or space to think about anybody else. We're exhausted, maybe even physically sick because of worrying about the things that we're going through. That's what happens when panic sets in. The good thing about it here, Mission Ebenezer Family Church, is that God has given us resources to deal with these things so that we don't react in the same way that the world does. Did you know that most of the way media and, and social media present things in, in, in world happenings, current events, and the news to us is specifically designed to cause us to panic? And if there's anybody here who works for any channel or station or you're a, uh, you're, you're a uh, uh, what do you call it, a broadcaster or um, whatever it may be, then, uh, then do it better, okay? <laughs> you thought I was going to apologize, huh? No. Stop trying to scare us. <laughs> right? I often uh, find it interesting that, like, for every bad thing we read about, for every school where there's an unfortunate situation where somebody who's going through a lot uh, and comes up with this ridiculous idea to go in there and harm other people, for every incident like that, there are a hundred uh, moments where people are doing amazing things for each other in the world that we live in. But that's not uh, something that is going to generate views because for whatever reason, we are drawn. Like, I, I always think of whenever there's a chase, you know, and you got helicopters and they're going, you know, through LA and they're cutting through the five and they're coming all the way down. All of a sudden, everybody, hey, have you heard about that chase? And then somebody's posting it on Facebook and then they tag it onto Instagram and now it's on TikTok. And then every household in the United States of America is looking at that one chase that's cutting through East LA. Why? Because we're drawn toward these kinds of things, but we're not drawn toward the good stuff. So what happens then for ratings and reviews, the only thing that they post is stuff that scares people. But what do we do? We buy into it, right? And then now with artificial intelligence and the way that that all works, they start, if you looked at it once, every other time there's a chase that comes on, they're gonna pre keep presenting you with that same stuff that you kept looking at. So it just keeps feeding your cycle over and over again. So what are we doing? We're bringing in worry and panic. Uh, and so we wake up in the morning and we're panicked. And before we go to bed at night, we're panicked. How are we supposed to live as people of faith if what we keep doing is allowing ourselves to be addicted to panic? How are we supposed to be those who say, God, I trust that you're in control and in charge and you're going to work things out when we constantly live in this world and cycle where we allow ourselves to just be flooded with worry over and over again? 
We are people of faith, not people of fear. Our God is big. Our God is good. Our God is able. Our God is loving. So when we go through something and we think of our past, we think of where we are and where we've come from and what we've been through, we have nothing but testimony after testimony of the ways in which our God has shown up and has been faithful in the midst of circumstances that seemed overwhelming for us. So then why, when we're faced with the next challenge, do we automatically forget all the things that God's already done? Why is it that we allow ourselves to go back into some kind of other, uh, 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 other response that's different from all the things that God's already done the moment something comes our way when in reality we should be able to say, well, God, you killed that Goliath and you killed that bear and you killed that lion. So when I'm facing this challenge, you've got me through all those things. You're going to get me through this one too. Right. So instead of all the things that I mentioned about being irrational, taking matters in our own hands, becoming selfish or feeling exhausted, maybe even sick. Instead, we have the playbook that God's given us. And this is drawn from scripture after scripture. But trust that a God is in control. Lord, I believe that you are in control. That's hard for us because we like to have control. We like to know exactly how things are going to work, how they will work, when they will work, in the exact order in which they will work, when in reality we simply need to say, God, I am sorry, but I am a control freak, and I need to recognize that you are in control and not me. The second thing is that we need to trust that God is able to turn things around and supply our every need. Right? We, we, we need to know that deep, 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 deep down in our heart. And have no doubt about it whatsoever. Okay? The third thing is, it's never as bad as it seems in the moment. We need to get divine perspective that will calm us down and remind us of the big picture. Let me explain a little bit of what I mean by that. We, as people of God, if we place our hope and our trust and our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ, that means that we have the promise of eternal security. That means no matter what happens... God's already promised us eternal life and we already know if we're students of the word that we were not meant to live forever in this body on this earth. This is a temporary existence. We get, we get a few decades to walk around here on this earth and then we're going to have forever and ever and ever in the presence of God because of Jesus and the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and, and now our sins are forgiven and we have access to heaven. So whether we live for 20, 30, 50, 70, 90, 100 years for some who are really lucky, even though it's interesting that those who are 100 always say like, I don't know if you call this lucky. <laughs> but this is a temper. this was always meant to be a temporary existence to begin with. So let's not allow temporary challenges to let, cause us to lose track of eternal promises, right? Let's not allow what we're going through in this flesh and blood to cause us to take our eyes off of the big picture, which is God already won and he's already invited us and he's got, he's got heaven stored up for us and we've got the promise of eternal uh, home with him forever and ever. And so no matter what happens to this body right here, as much as we enjoy this existence and there's beautiful things that happen here, this is not meant to be our forever home. 
And if that's already built into the playbook, then we need to loosen up the grip a little bit and get some divine perspective and say, God, regardless of what happens here, I trust in you. I know that you've given me the promise of eternal hope and and I'm going to follow you even if it looks a little bit scary or dangerous. Right? We have documented proof in scripture and in our personal lives that God does miracles and is able to do the impossible. So let's look at a story um, in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to look at a story uh, of what it, what, uh, you know, what it looks like to experience panic and yet to remember that God is in control, okay? To experience panic, but to remember that God is in control, while you're turning there, the reason why it's important for us to be reminded of these things is because, like I said, if you're not going through something big right now, something big is coming. And the best thing that we can do is to prepare ourselves so that when that challenge or when that disaster or whatever it may be comes our way, we've already rehearsed how we're going to respond when it happens. Does that make sense? I know we use a lot of sports analogies, but they're really helpful to me, and maybe they're helpful to some of you. But when I've got my little league team, right, what we talk about in practice is, you know, as soon as something happens, they've got a runner on first base. I, get, I ask them a question and say, okay, if the ball comes to you right now, what are you going to do with it? Why? Because if they don't think that way, and then all of a sudden the ball gets hit to them, and they're so surprised, like, whoa, what do I do? And they turn around, they're going to throw it to the stands, you know? And they want to put the ball in their back pocket and chew sunflower seeds and they forget that they're playing a baseball game. Why? Because when you panic, all of a sudden your brain uh, begins to lose oxygen and you can't think straight and you start making weird decisions. Unless you say, the ball's coming my way, the ball's coming my way, the ball's coming my way, the ball's coming my way. And then the ball comes your way and you're like, boom, I know exactly what I'm doing with it because I've already rehearsed it a hundred times in my head what I'm going to do when the ball comes to me. You're not surprised by the ball. You're expecting the ball. So I think in life, we can't be surprised by challenge. We need to expect the challenge and know how we're going to respond in faith when those challenges do come, right? Okay, if this happens, then I'm going to say, Lord, help me out here. Then I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to pray, right? I'm going to talk to a pastor. I'm going to talk to a friend. We're going to, we're going to put a game plan together. We're not going to freak out. We're not going to panic. We're not going to start running in circles. We've got a plan in place because we're not going to be surprised by a challenge. We're expecting a challenge and we're going to respond in faith to that challenge, not in fear. Amen. Okay. First Kings 17. Um, this is a story about Elijah, the prophet. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, this is verse one in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and head in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So God is giving Elijah the prophet 
uh, a promise, right? He announces that there's going to be a drought. And if there's going to be a drought, there's going to be a famine because you can't grow food when there is no water. They didn't have uh, large reservoirs and irrigation systems. You relied directly on the rain. And so God tells Elijah to go give this word. In this time, if you were a prophet who was called to give the king a harsh word, that didn't often sit well with the king. So oftentimes the kings would only surround themselves with prophets who are going to tell them what they wanted to hear. Right? They, they, they wanted those who were, who were just going to be yes people, right? Yes men surrounding the king. Should I do this? Yes, the Lord is with you. Um, I'm thinking about this decision over here. Should we go into battle? Yes, the Lord is with you, um, right? And so they just wanted to hear yes. How many of us sometimes, if we're honest, when we're thinking about our life and decisions, we, we just want to be around people that are going to tell us yes. But then there's this Holy Spirit conviction in us that reminds us, you know what? Maybe right now is not the time to only have yes people. Maybe you need somebody around you who's going to keep it real with you. It doesn't always feel good to hear what somebody has to say when they're keeping it real with us. It kind of hurts a little bit. But if we have the right mindset and perspective, we really appreciate those who are able to give us an honest word as opposed to those who are just going to blow smoke our way, right? And all of a sudden, uh, it might feel good in the moment, but it's actually not true. I don't know about you, but I would much prefer having somebody who would give me a sobering, honest, good word that's going to set me up for success than somebody who's going to lie to me so that they don't hurt my feelings, right? Um, so, so Elijah was one of those prophets that wasn't just going to go and tell the new king who had just became king, Ahab, what he wanted to hear. He told him the truth. The truth is there's going to be a famine. There's not going to be any rain. So hard times are coming, Right? Um, so when Elijah said that God knew that Elijah needs to not be close to the king because they have a history of doing things to prophets that say bad things. So Elijah runs, God says, go over here. And when you hide there, there's going to be a brook. You could drink water there and I'm going to send birds to feed you. Isn't that awesome? God's just promised that no matter where you go, I'm going to find a way to feed you. Um, I'm going to find a way to provide for you, right? Even if it doesn't make sense, right? Even if you can't picture um, a chipotle, carne asada, burrito, in between the talons of a raven coming your way with some hot sauce on the other talon, right? That he was getting ready to drop, you know? And a cold Diet Coke floating on his back like that, you know? So the ravens come and they feed him and, and he's getting water from the brook and, you know, already God's providing. I, I love that, like, that story of the ravens and the brook. Nobody was really there to witness it. But I believe that sometimes God does these small things in our lives that maybe not everybody can witness because he's trying to give us a sign of something bigger that he's getting ready to do. Right. And, and, and some, and I believe that God feeding Elijah through the ravens was his way of continuing to build Elijah's faith because he was going to have to rely on God more and more. And so it's important for us to recognize when God is doing those kinds of things and building up our faith through these different acts. Um, so then, uh, it says sometime later, verse seven of chapter 17, the brook dried up, right? So all of a sudden now, uh, Elijah, if he's thinking like us, which every once in a while when things come our way that we weren't expecting, it can cause us to say, oh no, something changed. Now I've got to rethink everything, right? He was relying on the brook for water and we can't survive without water. All of a sudden the brook dries up. So Elijah's probably thinking, uh-oh, that's not good, right? What are we going to do now? Uh, so the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. 
Okay, does anybody see the irony in that verse? Widows during this time were not those who had extra anything. Okay, uh, widows often were beggars because they relied either on their husbands to provide for them. And if their husbands were no longer there, then they would rely upon their extended family who would take them in. But if you're a widow living on your own, right, it already demonstrates that she probably didn't have very much. So God sent Elijah to be fed by somebody who didn't have very much. There's some irony there. Right? If I were starving and thirsty and the brook that I was relying on dried up and God said, okay, I want you to go somewhere, I'm going to be looking for somebody that's got a big old house with like five refrigerators, right? And a big old giant water tank in their backyard. Like, oh, they're going to be fine, right? And solar panels. So they don't have to rely on, uh, you know, the city uh, electrical, right? I'm going to be looking for that. Instead, God says, I'm sending you to a widow. If I'm Elijah, I'd probably look at God and be like, for real? A widow? Send me somewhere else, Lord. Nope, sending you to a widow. So, um, so he, he, he goes. So he went, verse 10, to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? I don't know about you, but whenever I read God's word, I often chuckle because I think to myself, man, what kind of question? In the middle of a famine, in the middle of a drought, when there's been no rain and the brook has dried up, how audacious is it to go up to a widow and say, hey, you got any extra water? So he goes and he asks her the question, can you bring me some water to drink? And as she was going to get it, he called out and he goes, oh, and by the way, uh, bring me some bread too. Like, oh, come on, Elijah. Poor thing. This widow's probably like, who is this guy? So she resp responds, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks um, to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Somebody say, don't be afraid. Anybody ever heard that before in the scriptures? Don't be afraid, right? My, my translation of it is don't trip, okay? Elijah said, no, don't freak out. Go home and do as you have said. But first, he says, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. So God's kind of testing this widow, right? Um, because she already just said, I don't have very much flour. I don't have very much oil. All we have is enough to eat. And that's our last meal. And so we just want to eat and have something in our stomach before we die. Um, and God's testing her uh, through Elijah. And Elijah says, okay, sounds good. You could do that. But before you do that, make me some bread, right? Um, and verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. If you have your Bible, take out a pen, take out a highlighter, something. Uh, you want to make mark of First uh, Kings 17. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. This is an awesome promise that God gives this widow of Zarephath. This awesome promise that says, if you put your trust in me, you're going to have everything that you need. Um, even if it doesn't look like it makes sense, trust me, because things don't often make sense when you're dealing with what God can do. But when we put our hope and our trust in God, he finds a way to come through. 
In other words, God's saying to her, don't start doing the math, just start doing the faith, right? Don't, don't start trying to add it up because all, you know you only got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. Just trust in God because God can stretch things out. Right? Isn't that what Jesus shows us later on in the New Testament when there's only a little bit of food and, and they pray and all of a sudden God feeds everybody and there's extras to go around? It's just a reminder that God doesn't always operate by math or science, but God operates how God wants to operate. Through faith. So, verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah told her, and there was plenty of food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So this is one of those stories, this is one of those reminders here in Scripture that it doesn't seem to add up and make sense, but even still, there's a famine, there's a drought, there's all kinds of challenge. She's a widow, that means her husband had passed away. She's already experienced so much hardship, and yet God wanted to demonstrate to her and to Elijah and to others that no matter what circumstances we're, faith, we're facing, when God is there, he can get us through. Right? She was running out of her own resources, and God says, don't worry about that because the one who created all this stuff is the one talking to you right now. Why are you worried about bread when I created everything on this planet? Why are you worried about oil or water when I'm the God of oil and water and every other thing? Place your trust in God. In other words, when you're going through something and you might be in the position like this widow in Zarephath where you're like, I don't have very much right? It's a great reminder to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to operate by faith and not by fear. With the very little that I have, I'm still going to look around to see if there's any way I could bless somebody. Why? Because when we are in a position of blessing others, it is a biblical, uh, 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 a biblical cycle and a biblical truth that when we bless, we get blessed, right? When we, when we are generous, right? Generosity is shown to us. But isn't that just so interesting how the other way the cycle works is that when we don't have very much, it's really tempting for us to hold ourselves with a tight fist and the tighter fist that we have, the less we seem to have. And the more open our hand tends to be, the, the more we're given. And, and all of a sudden now we can't even contain what our, both of our hands can wrap themselves around. And so God proves to her that he will provide as long as she is faithful. And so she is faithful, she and her son, right? And God uh, provides for them. And that little bit of flour and that little bit of oil never ran out until the rain came, which was what God promised. So if you're looking at your own life and you're thinking to yourself, all I got is a little bit. All I've got is a little bit of faith. All I've got is a little bit of money. All I've got is a little bit of health. All I've got is a little bit of this or a little bit of that. A little bit of anything in the hands of our God can go a long way. A little bit of anything in the hands of our God can go a really, really long way. So then verse 17, right? Things are going good. It seems like the end of the story ends on a high note. God shows up, God provides, God strengthens their faith. And then it says in verse 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. The son became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. So again, if you're a widow and all you have is your son, that means you are relying upon him so that you can, you know, 
have somebody who's going to provide for you as you get older and can't move around and can't do as much. She was really relying on her son for her own livelihood and well-being. She didn't have a husband. It didn't seem like they had very much family around. So her son was essentially her retirement account. And now her son is sick and he's getting more sick by the day, right? And I don't know about you, this is one of those things where I I appreciate these stories, and I'm so thankful that in Scripture, we don't just have these really neat and clean stories that have like, you know, a a typical story arc where you have the kind of beginning of the story, everything goes good, and then all of a sudden this, this climactic challenge happens, and then there's resolution, and then there's the end of the story, right? What I love about the Scriptures is it keeps it real and says, hey, that was a really good thing, and then all of a sudden it got worse. Why? Because it's in those moments where we kind of thought to ourselves, great, thank God we have a little bit of reprieve. I could take, I could take a breath of fresh air. I could back up a little bit and I'm not as stressed and worried, right? And, and that's kind of where we want to be. And then all of a sudden something happens and we're like, wait a second. I thought it was getting better. I thought it was, it, it was going in the right direction because all the signs seem to be pointing that things were working out. And now all of a sudden I'm reminded that this challenge has not yet gone away. In fact, now this seems like the biggest challenge I've ever faced when she saw that her son was sick. So then she talks to Elijah in verse 18. She says, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Verse 19, give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself over out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked him up. He picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. This is a a story of faith formation. This is a story of recognizing that even in the midst of dire circumstances and situations and challenges, we have a God who's able to see us in those moments and encourage us so that we don't need to panic or fear when things like that tend to happen in our lives. Even if it seems like it's getting worse, our God is still at work. Even if it seems like there's not a way forward, our God is is the God who's done that over and over again where he's demonstrated to us that he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. That he's never going to allow us to stay stuck in that situation, but that he loves to encourage us by showing up and by delivering us from whatever it is that might be causing us to feel entangled. So the woman was first encouraged by recognizing that when they first met Elijah, they were getting ready to die. God shows up. God uses Elijah. And through that, all of a sudden, now they are provided for. And then he becomes sick. And and it's in that moment, once again, where she cries out, where she reaches out. And I believe that as we think about where we are, as we think about what we're facing and all the things around us, we have an invitation, an opportunity, whether we are going to be people of faith or whether we're going to be people of fear. Are we going to be those who decide to say, Lord, I put my trust in you and I'm going to believe that all things are possible because that's what your word says. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to say, my God is good. My God is in control. 
the one thing that I want to make sure that I differentiate is that some people think having faith means you don't have to care. And what I would say is that if you care or you're concerned, that just means you're human. But we need to learn how to put our care and our concern in the hands of God and allow that to be, uh, to be lived out through faith and not through fear. Right? It doesn't mean that we stand back when it, when it comes to the pandemic, you know, as we look around and they're saying, you know, cases are on the rise and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean that we, like some churches, unfortunately start saying, you know what, the, 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 uh, the uh, COVID doesn't even exist and nobody needs to be worried about it. And why are you so afraid? And then they start just going around doing whatever, not being smart at all. That's not called having faith. That's just called being oblivious. And what we're not calling our church to be is an oblivious church that isn't aware of challenges around us. No, we accurately diagnose challenges and then we accurately call upon the one who knows how to address those challenges. All right, we don't try to be ignorant of the fact that we might be going through something and just be in denial about what we're facing. That's not called faith either. That's called denial, right? Faith is being able to say, I know what I'm going through and this is really difficult. And if I tried to do this on my own, I would fail miserably. But my God is big. My God is in control and he's in charge and he loves me. And so I'm going to call out to him and I'm going to walk this through with him step by step. Lord, help me to see this challenge through your eyes and not mine. All right. And then all of a sudden, little by little, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and say, okay, first step is here. Second step is here. Good job. You're doing good. Stay with me. Third step is here. Okay, you know what? Back up because you messed up on third step. Do it again. Okay, sorry, Lord, right? And then we, we, we stay with it. See, when we place our faith in our God, it doesn't mean that we are pretending that we are not in the middle of a challenge or a circumstance. We accurately, right, and honestly assess and diagnose what we're experiencing, but we also accurately and assess the God who's always with us. Right? The God who's always capable, the God who's able to do miracles, the God who's able to supply when we only have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left, we can trust in our God because he can stretch that out because he's done it before and he'll do it again. Amen? So as you're going through what you're facing right now or as you get ready for that next big thing that's around the corner, right? I want to encourage us not to be the kind of individuals, believers, families, that only know what it's like to worship God when things are going great in our lives. I want to encourage us to be the kind of folks that say, even if, or even when, or no matter what I'm experiencing, I, I choose to place my faith in my God because he's a good God, because he, he'll provide, because he will find a way, because he will encourage me. He will be with me no matter what it is that I'm going through. Isn't that what God has promised us? Just as Pastor Josh shared last week, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And if you weren't here last week, then you missed the part where he said, if there's a shadow, that means there's light, right? If you're in the middle of a shadow, right? What I always like to say is if it's the shadow of death, it ain't death, so I'm okay. <laughs> I can deal with the shadow of death, right? We place our faith in our God no matter what it is that we're going through, amen? Somebody say faith over fear. Would you, uh, if you're able, would you please stand with me this morning as we get ready to close our time together and, and really uh, encourage one another, right? Not to be surprised by things that challenge our faith, but instead to be prepared for things that challenge our faith so that our faith can grow and that our fear can shrink. Amen?
If you find yourself or somebody that you're with here today, a child or a mom or a dad or grandma or grandpa, and you sense that all of a sudden that faith meter is starting to shrink and that fear meter is starting to grow, I want to encourage you to challenge that and to say, you know what, we need to trust God a little bit more right now. You know, we need to not allow this to cause fear and panic in us because that's not going to do anybody any good. Instead, let's learn what it's like to place our faith, our hope, our trust in our God, regardless of what it is that we're facing or experiencing. Amen.